0: once again into the soccer OG hey that's me Max Bretos this is episode 81 as always we remind you to download rate review subscribe and tell a friend not necessarily in that order but pretty close to it check out our entire entire library of podcasts available right now where all podcasts are available most of them are evergreen not many but you get to enjoy it if there's a topic du jour that you're looking for you'll find it Also, check out the Soccer OG on my YouTube page under my name, Max Bretos. We got you covered, especially here as the stretch to the World Cup. This is going to be another interesting week. They all are. And joining me in the business end is Paul Tenorio. He is a reporter and a writer for The Athletic. He also has a very good podcast that I recommend in Allocation Disorder with Sam Staseko. And they talk a lot about the marketplace. And that's what we're going to talk about because crazy things happening in Major League Soccer, crazy things happening as it applies to American players. We'll let you know what it is required to do the job. It's hard. And we'll also take a look at what might happen and things that we are anticipating that could make a big difference. One thing that we'll all be watching, by hook or by crook, is the English Championship. And that's because there are several key American players right now that will start this season this weekend in that competition. That is coming up at stoppage time. My Americans in the English Championship preview. I know it's a little bit wordy, but you get the message. Stick around for that. That is also the topic on the YouTube page where I'll go a little bit more into detail. And love to hear from you. Leave a question. Leave a remark. And I, I really do like to respond to as many as possible. But go ahead and do that on YouTube. At this time, I also want to concede the World Soccer Talk Best Podcast. I'm con- I'm, I'm, this is my concession speech. Uh, the Scuff Podcast, it's it, the English are too many. It's too far. That's from Braveheart. It's the only line I could think of. But if you'd like to go vote, go to worldsoccertalk.com, go into their, their their voting for the best of, and go to podcasts and vote for the Soccer OG. Let's see if we can close a gap. But I think we're a very solid second, and I'm happy with that. I came here just to get on the podium, and it looks like I'm going to walk away with a silver medal. Soccer OG Podcast, we got another good one. I promise. Let's go. is not the busy season by any means in the sport. We do have all these tours going on in the United States, which helps us get ready for what we're going to see in a few weeks when the Premier League starts, La Liga, Serie A. We have uh, Liga MX and MLS going on, and I think they try to take a bigger piece of the pie, which they do sometimes with some interesting games. I got to call Gareth Bale's first goal in LAFC, first goal in Major League Soccer. Those things are pretty harrowing because you don't want to Determine what you say in the goal call but you don't want to sound planned but you also want to make sure you're somewhat prepared for you know the moment don't screw up <laughs> and uh, so that was a lot of fun and it's just been a lot of it's been quite an adventure to be part of this LAFC ride which is just getting started you know I was down there at training everyone's coming in everyone wants to see Gareth Bale and Giorgio Chiellini they are just two members of that team it's really down to earth and I've been really disarmed by it all but there you have it. So MLS has got a big piece of the pie. Man, if you haven't seen this footage of Paulo Dybala being welcomed by the Roma fans, I'm sure you saw it because Fabrizio Romano, who's one of the must-follows in our sport, posted it. It was absolutely breathtaking, and it's a reminder how the fans really make this sport what it is. All the skill, all the goals, all the incredible commentary all the controversy, all of it's nothing without fans. I think we learned that during COVID. So when you see what the fa- what it means to the fans, and, and look, they'll turn on you. That's part of the deal. <laughs> you got to deliver to get that adoration. It's worth it. Then uh, it's it just how the world goes around. So check that out as well. I also noticed that Klondike is discontinuing the Choco Taco, and people are up in arms on social media. I... I challenge any of those people that are up in arms, I would ask them this question. When's the last time you had a Choco Taco? And I'm going to be be pretty sure that none of them have eaten one in a year at least. They are, they're not good. And there's a reason Klondike is discontinuing them. Klondike has a very high standard. And that, to me, always felt like biting into a a shoe because it was like this chocolate wrapped up and it was always at the bottom of the freezer. Maybe I got those that were past the uh, expiration date. Yeah, not a fan. I used to be a fan. I go, these are great. And I go, you know what? These aren't that good. If I'm going to put the calories in, I'm going to get something a little tastier or fresher. They never tasted fresh. Never. Other Klondike products did. This one didn't. So many good. So competitive in that space. You can't have a bad ice cream. You can't. This is being recorded on a Tuesday. I did do the podcast with Paul Tenorio. You're gonna love it. He's uh, he's really coming into his own as a voice that you have to listen to. He knows the sport. He's put the time in. He has learned the the things that a lot of us don't want to learn about but he's put that time in and you can tell. You know things about how the apparatuses work in Major League Soccer and the market. It's very complicated or maybe it's not as complicated but no one really wants to break it down because it's uh there's layers, but he does a great job. And he, he likes the sport and he has a really good take because he watches a lot of the the, the action. So Paul Tenario, the athletic, when we have the these insiders so to speak, and I talked to Paul, and this you don't want to be classified as an insider, he wants to branch out and he has all the resources to do it. But guys like him and, and Tom Bogart, Tom's been one of my best performing podcasts. Check that out in our library. Just talking about signings, which as we'll talk to Paul as well, is it's got to be a bigger part for Major League Soccer. It's got to be a part that keeps people engaged all year round. So they're checking in on who's coming, who's going, because it is a crazy amount. Including Luis Suarez. Uh, I, had, I really had my doubts that he would land with Nacional. Now, the, the interview I did occurred before he confirmed it, because Paul Tenorio earlier nixed the fact that he was going to LAFC. Some things were put out there that made it sound like he was going there. I was like, he's not coming here. I don't know anything about anything, but I knew Luis Suarez wasn't coming here. And then there was reports he might go to the Galaxy and then Nashville. And then he goes to Nacional. So you don't see that that often. uh, He's taking a risk. He's going to be on that World Cup team. But how much does he feature if he has a bad run with Nacional, which are the powerhouse in Uruguay? They are involved in an international competition right now, the Copa Sudamericana, which is like the Europa League, to the Libertadores, which is the Champions League in South America. They're in the quarterfinals. They're taking on Atlético Goianense, And I know I butchered that. And I try to pride myself on really hitting these Brazilian names. Goianense, who are doing very poorly in the Brazilian League, but they've made it to the quarterfinals. Uh, Luis Suarez isn't going to play in that first leg, which is next Tuesday. Probably doesn't play in the second leg. Maybe. And what if Nacional get eliminated? I mean, that was the reason he didn't go to River Plate, because they got knocked out of the Libertadores. Are you going to be happy for the World Cup? And, and this is from my MLS perspective, but playing in MLS is better than playing in a league where you're Nacional. You're the big dog, and you're playing Danubio or Boston River or, you know, these clubs that don't have the resources. Montevideo Torque. That's not going to get him ready, especially at his, his age. That's a risk that's a risk for Luis Suarez and if he's not up to snuff on a very competitive Uruguayan team it may cost him because they have good attacking options I'm not saying MLS will get it but I think they would have done a better job of pushing him and playing important games in uh, in a league let's be frank has more resources and he will be treated you know, he's going to be treated like a god down there but he's going to be treated like a first class patron here so if you know that if that kind of explains it it's hard to say so, I'm glad to see that happen because we don't have that romance anymore. But I wonder how smart it is for Nacional. Uh, we're going to get to that interview right now. I did want to touch on what I saw Monday. England thumping Sweden. Thumping. That's worse than a thumping. For 0 in the first semifinal of the Euro 2022. It's looking like it's England's tournament. England was always going to win this. But, man, Sweden. They missed Sweden. I mean, that was one of those games where they got to be back in the hotel going, What happened? Goals three and four they let up were just unacceptable. You've got to deliver. We've got to be critical of Sweden. That's one of the things about the women's game. And I, we had Laurie Lindsay last week. If there's a bad performance, we can't sit here and and you've got to treat them the same way the men. And if that happened, a performance like that, they would be demolished in the media. And I think Sweden should be. That was really poor, allowing in goals like that. Not finishing in the first half. England were good, but they weren't for Seattle good. That Sweden, we've got to hold that the standard at the women's game. Because if that was Sweden in the men's game, they would be hell in high water. Not that that's the story to take away. It isn't. I feel for Spain. Spain must be kicking themselves. They could have been in this position because they outplayed England, but didn't get through. They await for the, a winner of Germany or France. And I really like this England team. I mean, the goal that Beth Mead scored was incredible. Lucy Bronze, a beautiful goal, too. And they were really clinical. And they've been clinical throughout the tournament with the exception of the one game against Spain. But everyone's going to have a game like that. But here we go. Here comes the It's Coming Home. it would be interesting if the women beat the men to bringing it home. But the It's Coming Home, and I, I love this England team. I love everything about them. I love the way they play. But when you hear It's Coming Home, I'm like, i got to pull for Germany or France. I really like the English men's team, too. But everything that comes around England, once they get to this stage, you're like, Ugh, it's cool that they got to a semi-final or a final, but they can't win it. <laughs> that would be unbearable. It really would. You know it would be. So come on, Germany. Come on, France. Well done, England. Although I still think England's the best team there. They had their one bad game. It's behind them. The Soccer OG, rate, review, download, subscribe, tell a friend, leave a comment. Check out The Soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. We are now going into the business end. Paul Tenorio of The Athletic joins us next. We're now here in the business end, and we welcome in Paul Tenorio, writer, reporter for The Athletic. He's also the co-host of the Allocation Disorder podcast with Sam Statesco, which you have to listen if you want to know about the marketplace and MLS, about how American players are going, which are some of the topics we'll discuss here. And more than anything, he's just a good dude. Good to see you, Paul. Good to hear Uh, you.
1: It's great to see you and to to be joining you on the podcast, man. I'm honored.
0: Well, it means means a whole lot. And by the way, uh, as I was waiting here, recording this on a Tuesday, and of course, I go on Twitter, and it's like a Cobra was released because of this potential Luis Suarez move. And this chatter of LAFC, and just for full transparency, I have so much respect for what you do. It's a hard job with you and Sam and, and Tom uh, Bogart do and, and Felipe breaking news because it has to be you relationships and everything. I'd love to talk to you about it, but um, I don't know anything. But when I saw your tweet, it gave me some comfort because of the rumors about Luis Suarez to LAFC, and <laughs> you quelled them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I usually... I used to have a policy when I was reporting on Orlando city for the Sentinel back um, a few years back that I didn't really put stuff out there um, about slapping down a rumor or like this isn't going to happen because once Orlando city signed Kaka, like every name got connected to Orlando city. And so I had to start being a little more discerning in what I put out there or didn't put out there. But like when a rumor really starts to get legs and gain some traction, sometimes it's, it's okay to, to knock things down. So I was talking to some sources and, you know, you know, multiple sources were like, this is not happening. LAFC is not happening. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to put it out there. Multiple sources now have said this, that I trust. Um, and so, you know, it'll just help quell those rumors. And there are connections to multiple other MLS teams that have been reported in, in Uruguay. I've seen reports about Seattle, which would make sense with Nico Lodero, though they don't have a DP spot. Lodero and Suarez are very close friends. I saw a rumor about NYCFC. Uh, I even saw a rumor about Nashville. So it's not as though this would like shut down all of the possibilities. Um, But I didn't realize the, the, the passion that's behind this movement right now within Uruguay to get Suarez to sign back with Nacional, his club in Uruguay. And so I tweeted this thinking, oh, it's just like a little thing. I put it on Twitter. I'm not, you know, and it has just blown up. I was late coming to this podcast because I'm fielding phone calls, 40 DMs hundreds of retweets and likes and and response replies and I'm like oh my gosh like what did what can of worms did I open up here and also like these people these sources better be right cuz like I've given hope to all of the uruguayans everywhere that that he's going to end up at nacional um but yeah I mean I trust obviously I trust my sources I trust that's why I always have multiple sources but yeah I wasn't I was I thought it was like a chill tweet man I, I didn't think it, was, it, idea, it like, was what it was you know
0: well it was a chill tweet but I could see the effect it had because it was it was getting rowdy and there was I was I was right before I joined you there was a report from Argentine television and they had a huge production about Luis Suarez to MLS it was LAFC you know, and again I don't know I wouldn't I would never doubt a, a, a report like that or a rumor like that but it just doesn't didn't make a whole lot of sense. But it was carrying on like it was carrying on like it was imminent. Like everyone's looking at their Twitter timeline, refresh, refresh, and then yours came up and it, kind of, it gave me some peace. And we'll see. So hopefully it is at the at the very least. You've if he goes to Nacional, you're gonna have some walk around privileges down in Montevideo, which could be handy.
1: <laughs> no doubt. I'm just saying, like I, in Qatar, like if I see the Uruguayan fans, like you know. you know, we'll, we'll share some food. We'll share some good times. And I don't know though. I mean, I saw a report today as I was like freaking out and like texting sources again about it. And I was Googling and I saw like Borussia Dortmund is considering signing source. Like this is a guy who right now who's out there and available as a free agent with a great track record of scoring goals. And a lot of teams are losing forwards here and there, injuries or whatever, what have you. And this is the name that's popping up. So I don't know. I mean, again, I trust my sources, but to your point, like, Breaking news is an incredibly stressful job. <laughs> and I've like like a couple of years ago, when I started having my wife and I started having kids, like I kind of moved a little bit away from that lifestyle, partly because, like my you know, you only have so much time in your life, and I wanted to be like a dad as much as I could be a dad. And it's just you're on the phone too much if you're doing this. And so, and I, then I was doubting did I make the right decision or not and focus more on analysis. and Telling telling you the why as much as telling you the what, and of course I still break news here and there. But like it reinforced like recently, like I I felt like I I've I felt good about that decision. Um, part and 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 days like this uh, and moments like this re- remind me of both the adrenaline rush that you get when you're putting a scoop out there. Though I did not think of this at all like a scoop. Like you didn't think it was a like big that. scoop when it I was. I didn't think it was anything. Um. Uh. But also the. The feeling of uncertainty that you get anytime you put something out there, even when you're talking to people that you trust to the nth degree. You know there's always a fear of is this going to be wrong and all it takes is one time being wrong to to ruin years and years of work uh, building up credibility so uh, yeah. Interesting well, Tuesday, Max. Well, I,
0: you you could say that I'm going to try and take a step away, but based on the euphoria this creates, you can see the value in it. And you, hey, listen, they're handing out big they're handing big out big fat old deals to Adrian ward and yeah, well, for
1: Schefter. sure. I mean, this is the conversation that I have with my friends in the industry, with my wife. Um, you know, Schefter is making nine million dollars a year, and then you read the stories about Schefter, and he's talking about being at his kid's graduation and supposed to have the day off and he's instead, he's breaking this trade and you feel the rush of it. I know what he's talking about. When you're, you know something that's happening that no one else knows and you're seeing it happen. Like, yes, it is a rush, but you know, there, there are other things too. And so, but that's the hard part is like, I feel like um, there are things that I do really well as a journalist that I'm trying to focus on. But the reality is that the news breakers right now you know, they do get prioritized and they do get the bigger money contracts um, and they do get a lot of the notoriety. And so it's trying to find a blend of that. It's like, can I break news and also tell you the why? And, you know, I always look at Ken Rosenthal as like a great example of what I would like to be. It's like, he's still in the news cycle. He's still breaking news a good amount, but Ken is respected for his analysis of the news, his ability to pull back when news is happening and analyze it and talk to people within the league within Major League Baseball about why does this matter? And that's what I am trying to do more of. I think like now I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old and I'm kind of getting back into like a more of a normal routine and rhythm of my life. And I'm like, okay, what is my my focus? And I, I look at the World Cup. That's my main focus right now. And for the next few months, like I will be focused almost entirely on the World Cup. But coming out of that, it's going to be, can I go back to what I felt like I was doing really well at the beginning of my time at the athletic and at 442 which is breaking some news yes of course but really trying to inform the conversation around mls and and sometimes that's via a column sometimes it's via analysis but like can i set the conversation and that that's kind of where my focus is going to be after i get back from qatar um in the winter
0: well that's great to hear paul uh i you're a very talented writer and reporter and it's uh we need that in, in our sphere. And it gives me comfort when I see folks like you out there, certainly with regards to MLS and there's more to it because MLS comes with the U S men's national team uh, players that like a Brendan Aronson that we covered in MLS and that's going to continue to happen. So that's really important work because it's, it's all getting so big. And I'll just start with Luis Suarez really quickly. And we'll move on. But this, just the way this rolls out, and it's an international story. To your point, folks in National are on your every word. This is a player, even though he's 35, he's coming to MLS. Everyone's going, "Oh, here we go again, retirement league." Well, it's, it's, there's you said Borussia Dortmund. Whether how much is behind that? I will say this: if you look at the top five leagues, at least half, if not probably more, would be thrilled to add Luis Suarez at least for a short term. their club so this isn't just an mls thing but these are these moments which it gets you really uh, excited it reminds me when i was working at sports center when you know brett Favre was gonna announce where he was gonna play and everything stopped i'm not comparing luis suarez to brett Favre, even though i just did but it's one of those things that captures the imagination of everyone globally because of who he is and this league just add you know i'm here in la we did the uh the announcements for Gareth Bale and Giorgio Collini, the the two Italians in Toronto, the list, the Hector Herrera, and that keeps going on. But this is just huge in many ways, and it seems like that is going to continue. And now we wait to see where Luis Suarez lands, and it would appear an MLS club might be able to sign him. But it's just for one, one point about it, and you wonder where he might go. So in this unique year where the World Cup is looming, his selection really comes down to where can I get best prepared? Because he's going to be on a Uruguay team that has huge aspirations to potentially win a World Cup. Whether they can do it, I don't know, but that's how they're feeling. He needs to position himself where he gets games. And as I look at it all, at all, obviously going to a European club, nothing's guaranteed. If it's a Dortmund, maybe he doesn't get off the bench or he doesn't get to start as many games. But at MLS with the right club, it seems like he could provide that pretty seamlessly the games that he requires at a pretty at a a pretty heavy pace and something that'll push him physically like we've seen with these other like we I spoke to Gareth Bale and you know he goes yeah the heat the travel but this is all preparing you for the World Cup which could only benefit him I would imagine
1: yeah I mean I think all of those things factor in and now we're seeing you know even the fact that he comes out and says like I can only go to a team that is fighting that's in the playoffs because I have to have my season continue Correct, yeah. long enough to be fit. Um, it, it's crazy that people are starting to learn MLS rules and how the league works in order to know where the best place is to sign. That was inevitable, right, as the growth of this league. And I, I do want to say you're right about players like Suarez. There, there's always room for players like Suarez and Bale. Like, it's okay to sign players in their 30s. It's Okay. And I know people feel self-conscious about it. It's not as old as it used to be, by the way. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And also like the retirement league moniker was fair for a long time. And it's like very clearly not fair anymore when you talk about MLS, but that doesn't mean like, because the league tried to move away from that rightfully. So doesn't mean that there isn't still space for players over there in their thirties or in the tail end of their career to come and help teams in MLS. Like we saw positive impacts of guys like Rooney and Zlatan, or you look at David Villa and what he did when he was in the league and you can still find really productive, helpful players in their 30s, and that's okay. You Zlatan is still playing in, in Italy. Like that's okay. It happens around the world. You can sign 21-year-olds and 35-year-olds. That doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. I mean, it can be, but it doesn't have to be. And, and it's not it's not. They're
0: adding to the coffers, they're adding those the, the 30-something players, they're adding the young South American players, they're adding the young
1: Academy players. It's coming right. from everywhere. Right. And that's how you build a team. Like you're not like. Like, look at the U.S. national team. Like, there is value going to the World Cup with this super, super young team. They're going to gain a lot of experience. They're going to be in their prime for 2026 at home. But, like, when Greg Berhalter tries to build that roster, he, he's looking, where can I add veteran voices into this locker room, right? Like, why bring Sean Johnson as a third goalkeeper instead of Gagas Lonina? Well, because it's somewhere where you can add somebody in their 30s to the locker room that maybe helps with an otherwise very youthful team, right? Like that is a part of building a team is finding the right places and pieces to add veterans or not. And, you know, I think it's worth keeping in mind. I also want to say going back to like your Favre comparison, like what Tom Bogart has been doing over the last 12 months in breaking news for MLS soccer.com and as frequently as he does it. And um, as accurately as he does it, like it is so good for the league. And oh, yeah. like, it, it's good for all, for me and for Sam and for others, Jeff Carlisle and, and, and Doug and, and Goff and Strauss and everyone else in the business to have more people out there breaking news. But most importantly, what Bogart has done with regularity is he creates um, discussion outside of the field. And that's something that for me has been a thing I've been harping on the league for so long. And like I feel like um, the athletic at times have we banged uh heads with the league a lot uh over the last few years a little, and, yeah, a little bit <laughs> yeah and we're not you know we're not the favorites for sure but like the point i've always made is like all of this stuff whether you like it or not is good for the league discussion away from the league away from the on-field product is what makes people tune into the on-field product and i think like when you see as hard as the work is and as much as i don't really want to do it anymore it is a part of my job it's an important part of my job and it's what other employers are watching me to see if they want to hire me one day or whatever, like what Bogart's doing is great. And the reason they like it is because that's what it does. It draws interest into the league. And a tweet like today is a great example of that. Like the discussion today is about Suarez not going to LAFC, so where is he going to go? And that means that there's a discussion about MLS on a day Tuesday when there's no MLS games happening. And like, that's what the league needs more of. Now it's not happening on SportsCenter. And like, that's the next step is to be able to have those types of conversations happen in kind of the more mainstream journalism side of things. That's the, that's where MLS has to go to grow, but, and they can't really control that, but, um, it starts with kind of creating storylines and drama and, um, friction and conflict away from the field. That gives people a reason to tune into a game that they otherwise wouldn't watch, right? Like, why? How can I make a Seattle Sounders fan care enough to tune into this LAFC uh, Galaxy game? Well, how did it work? Zlatan. Like, Zlatan made people tune in. Like, those are like, but it was because everyone was telling everyone, you have to watch this guy's Zlatan. You have to watch this guy's Zlatan. So everyone tuned into this game to see Zlatan. And then he came on and he scored the goal he did. And the audience was great and the ratings were great. Like the more that we can do that um, and generate conversation, the better it is for our jobs and our livelihoods. But I think also for the growth of the sport and specifically the growth of major league soccer in this country.
0: By the way, for your tweet that was sent less than an hour ago, you're up to about 1000 likes. So we'll just, we'll Wonderful. keep tracks on that and see where it goes. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. So, uh, but exactly. But what Paul that, is Paul, that was beautiful. You, you hit it on the nail. It's a, uh, no, we have this Apple TV deal. And look, I'll be lying if I'm not nervous about what happens with this league. I know it's in pretty stable uh, standing, but, you know, money has to come in to keep it solvent and to keep everyone covering the league at a, at a certain high level, because, you know, if there was, you know, we've seen it everywhere in, in every network and station, you know, if it's not making the money, then they don't invest the money. And it has that investment has to keep coming to make it bigger. And, Now with his Apple TV deal, which is going to create national games for every MLS game. And you have to, you you obviously the local uh, appeal is going to be there, but for someone in Minnesota to watch a galaxy game or for someone in Portland to watch an Orlando game, there has to be that hook. And we're really still working on it. And that's the biggest, that's the biggest missing ingredient with regards to major league soccer. And hopefully it's coming. We've seen some baby steps, but I always like to compare it to other sports as well and this goes without question and again working at ESPN and seeing this you know the NFL season and the NBA season are big the off season when they open up the <laughs> when they they open up the the window for signings certainly in the NBA the traffic often doubles or triples what you would see on a on a game on a game day between say the Lakers and the Celtics. So that is a big part why those leagues. And I mean, I'm preaching to the choir. That's a big part why those leagues have the hook in year round. And that's what MLS has to do. And I remember the old days where we'd sit there and hear a rumor and go, that's not going to happen. And it wouldn't happen. And then a couple things would occur. A couple players would come in. You'd be content because you'd set the bar very low. And uh, that has been blown out of the water now, even to the point where, moves that don't happen still have that important effect where it gets people engaged. And we've seen it with Luis Suarez. If he decides not to come here and goes to Getafe to play for next year, so be it. But those are the things that, uh, engage folks. And I, I, we can't underestimate the, the, the extra layers from outside of MLS because we have a, we have a perception problem. MLS doesn't deserve it, but it does, you know, it's look like, ah, and to your point about, um, uh, how it's viewed? What was the point that you said? I'll come back to that. But it, it's it needs all that help to make it look cool, and these players certainly allow that to happen. And I've been blown away with the players that have come and if actually finished the finished and come to the league and immediately started playing. By and large, and the people I talk to that are agents and so forth, they go, we go to Europe or South America now. Everyone wants to come here because they see it now. To your point as well. Louis Suarez, they want to come to a club that they know will be in the postseason this year. And there's only two or three teams that can guarantee that. But it's uh moving beyond the World Cup year. I can't imagine it where players see the value on so many levels, why this makes sense for them personally, for their family, for them lucratively, and why it's going to be something that uh it's going to. It's going to get contagious. It's going to get bigger and bigger. We're going to see not just like the Luis Suarez and the Gareth Bales. And this seems like Lionel Messi at some point, which we all leaned into, but it can't be something so singular because that's great. If we have one player playing for, say, Inter-Miami, or own in. it's got to be league-wide. And I feel like we're moving towards that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's some interesting challenges that Major League Soccer faces now with this Apple deal. And, you know, I'll start by saying this. Look, I, I'm coming. I work for a company that's subscription-based. So I recognize the challenge, the positives and the negatives of selling subscriptions. The positives is, you you know, it changes the interest level in soccer. Like if you're dictating things based on how many clicks it gets, you're not going to be able to compete with the NFL. And let's start there. I mean, you can, depending on the market, you can maybe talk about NBA, but probably not. And Major League Baseball, depending on the market, maybe. But when you talk about selling subscribers, like there is an audience for soccer there. And that's why we've seen so many different companies go in on um, you know, soccer rights, whether it's MLS or the Bundesliga or, or Champions League or EPL, whatever, because people will subscribe to watch soccer and to read about soccer. But the challenge here is like for the athletic, when I'm selling a subscription, when somebody clicks one of my stories about MLS and says, okay, this is enough for me to subscribe, they're not just getting major league soccer. They're getting my mls coverage but they're also getting our epl coverage they're getting our nfl coverage our nba coverage our college football coverage our baseball coverage we are all of those things with this apple tv deal mls is going to be selling a subscription for just mls and that is a much tougher sell to grow the league there is an audience that exists around this league we know that we know that it exists and they go to stadiums all the time because there is no other better competition really for for high level soccer in this country. But when you turn on the TV, there is competition. And and so you're asking people to pay money for MLS. You're going to get the diehards. You're going to get the people you already have. How are you going to grow the league? And I get nervous about it for a couple of reasons. The big one is that MLS is gonna be controlling all production in this app. So will they embrace debate? Will they embrace conversations around the league that go beyond what they would like to control? because again that matters in driving audience and if they are controlling the voice around these games and around the shows and they're not willing to let go then they're not going to create the drama that leads to a bigger audience and a great example of this is f1 when you see their show on netflix they have clearly given the green light to the producers and the production team we trust you to tell really good stories and that includes some of the drama and it includes the people behind the scenes who don't like each other and who trash talk each other. And what does that do? Well, it's made people know characters they otherwise wouldn't know. They feel like they know these drivers. They know the team directors. They know who they are, where they come from, what their personalities are, who they don't like, why they don't like them. They see all of it. And so when they, they go to tune into a race, they're not just tuning into an F1 race to watch the race. They're watching the people that they know from the show. Can MLS do that? And that's a big question. And, and one more point is for me, when you talk about the offseason and how important that is for the NFL and NBA and Major League Baseball, the trade trackers, the hot stove, all of those things, you're right. It is more interesting. But like just yesterday, I was thinking to myself, like, oh, wouldn't it be an interesting story to do like a how to fix Atlanta United? Like, how do you fix that? And the, the reality is, I can't do it, I cannot do it accurately because I don't know what their salary cap situation looks like. I don't know what the books look like. I don't know how much GAM is being used to buy down X player or Y player, how much TAM is being used, how much GAM they have left, um, what the contract lengths are of these players, what their money is gonna do. With all of those other leagues, I have all of that information. And when I was at the Washington Post, our NFL writers were writing those stories about the Washington football team, the commanders. They They were breaking down the salary cap situation to the dollar and saying, these are the types of players they could sign. This is what they can afford. These are the positions they need. And, and that drove our content for the majority of the year. And MLS hides all of that information. It's not public. It's not available. And so what they've done is, even within the diehards, they've limited the conversation. You cannot have these in-depth conversations about the league and the teams. It just doesn't exist. And you see all these people who want to go there and you see the way that those same people, types of people, changed Major League Baseball because they made it better. They found new, new ways to manage rosters, data and analytics, and they brought new ideas, and they started getting hired by teams. MLS can't get that either. They can't make their pool wider from, from candidates they don't know who are just fans because they limit the information and they limit the conversation. And if they want to grow, that has to end too. They have to find a way to be more transparent to give all of that information. And that means, yes, that they will be held accountable and there won't be any more league discretion behind the scenes because we'll know, but like that's what's better for the league. And these are all areas of growth or potential growth that MLS needs to be thinking about going into this new TV deal. They need to think about ways to reach an audience despite being behind a paywall, which is not going to be easy, allowing their tone of their broadcast to be neutral and not league driven, which is not going to be easy for them and be transparent so that people can talk about your leagues in more ways, which they've fought, frankly, Uh, not, and I, and I don't mean like the, the communication staff of the league, like they understand that, but like the people that they, that actually make the decisions don't want that. And, um, and it's, it's going to limit the league's growth and it's going to limit the growth of this app and this, and this Apple deal um, I promise you that it really will. They need to let go a little bit.
0: I don't. I don't doubt you, Paul. And it, you need those lightning rod moments to when people say, "Oh, tune over to Apple TV." They are discussing Cristiano Ronaldo coming to Minnesota United, and the, there's pros and cons to all of this stuff. And you're right. We all can't just lump it on and go, "Love, it's great, it's great, it's great." There's there's certain things and that you have to take into consideration. And the salary cap. And look, uh, as an LAC employee, I kind of bite my lip on this and. Again, I, you, you don't look how the sausages are made when I mean, everyone's trying to figure out what their, their salary cap is to figure out if they could sign Luis Suarez or where they lie. And I remember, again, uh, at ESPN, we would bring in Tom Penn, who was my former boss here, or Some of the, and, uh, and they'd go through the, 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 raw, the salaries of each player and how the trade trackers. Bill Simmons does it all the time. Let's match the salaries. That stuff is riveting. And you'd go, does it work? Nah, I can't make that trade. So all these things are kind of that transparency is important. I'd like to think that they're getting a little bit closer, but I know that it, they still are very protective, and no one knows that more than you do. And I think uh, there's – I mean, that's a lot. Like what you just listed out, that's a lot. And you, you could see the league maybe conceding some of it, all of it, certainly not early on. But uh, the transparency, uh, I, I take it even a little bit further, the access – where if somebody wants to interview so-and-so you got to tell that player or that coach you're doing this interview this is important I know we're putting that's got to be in their contracts where access is coming through the roof where you have these players almost not at your beck and call but close to it where they can be made available they they'd have to put a lot more on their shoulders as well I know a lot of the teams don't want to do that for obvious reason. They want to focus on the sport, but as someone like me and you, from the content standpoint, all that is gold. And, you know, even pie in the sky, like going there and talking about a Luis Suarez to a Carlos Vela or whatever, which probably you don't do. Maybe you encourage those things just because it creates maybe that moment.
1: Well, let's use that as an example of the conversation we can't have, like to your point, like, LAFC might not even have, they have a DP spot open, but they might not have $612,500 to put a maximum DP in their cap. And you know, maybe they could only sign a young DP, that would be $250,000, right? Or maybe that would mean that, okay, they can bring on a DP, but they would have to move somebody else to move that salary off the books so that they could open up the space to sign Luis Suarez, to even have the conversation to sign Luis Suarez. And so, well, then what does that do? Well, what that does is it, it adds another layer to the conversation. Oh, well, who could they trade? And who would be willing to take on the oh, maybe they would trade Latif Blessing, who would be interested in Latif Blessing? Maybe they'll sell Brian Rodriguez. You know, it changed it it creates an informed conversation, a more informed conversation, and an interest level goes up. Like and now, now I've pulled in fans from, from Charlotte or Kansas City or wherever. That hey, this guy could be a good fit for you, and LAFC might need to move him to open the cap space to bring this player. Like that's how you now I've now I've interested fans from Charlotte in a story about LAFC, and now people are engaged, and now maybe those fans are gonna say, oh, I'm gonna watch LAFC because I want to watch this guy Latif Blessing that you know ESPN says could potentially be a target for Charlotte. Right? Like that's how you create engagement of fans across a country, and like. And it's not just baseless, right? Like it's based on the cap situations and who could fit where and who has positional needs and which points. And that's, that's what drives coverage around most professional leagues in this country for the majority of the time, especially because most, most leagues will, you know, I use the NFL as a great example, very short season. Like the off season is the most important time uh, for a lot of these reporters to, to drive interest and to, to, show you why you should care about your team when the time comes to watch them. Right. So, you know, I just think that like, it's a good thing in a way that MLS has all of these places that it can grow because the possibilities are there and the playbook exists. They can look at these other leagues and see this is how they grew in popularity. This is how they created conversation around the leagues in, in times when otherwise we wouldn't be, ha- we wouldn't be talking about it. Um, And the question is, do they embrace that or do they push back on it and continue to ignore it? And, you know, I think that, um, you know, as as MLS becomes a bigger and bigger player in the international transfer market, as they control less and less of that conversation in general, you know, maybe they'll recognize that in, in some ways it's hurting them, too. Right. Like people think when we talk about the perception gap that exists between where MLS really is and where people think it is. Like I had to do a story when Gareth Bale came to explain to the UK audience what is a discovery list, uh, how much salary cap space do teams have, and try to explain to them that listen, the cap is four point six eight three million or whatever it is right now. Like I don't even know the cap number because it doesn't matter because it's a soft cap and there's GAM and there's TAM and there's all DPS and well, you know, if we can have more transparent conversations or if you can simplify the rules and not change how much how much money is being spent, but the limitations on how it's being spent, it makes it easier for everyone around the world to understand what's going on. And that makes it easier to have more conversations. So this is not just about like what's better for me. Like, yeah, it would be better for me. I'm advocating for it because it would be better for me. But sometimes what's better for me as a reporter and a journalist or you is better for the league because we're the ones that are talking about your league. And, and we are the conduits with the fans and the potential for growth. So Um, that's what's so frustrating is I I see where it could go. And uh, I just, I don't know how quickly it'll get there.
0: I think it'll get there, but you're right. The pace is, uh, is the question. And I'd love to see in the face of the uh, UK media when you're explaining discovery rights. Incredible.
1: Incredible.
0: (laughs) Well, it's not perfect, but it's ours. We love it. Although we know there's room for improvement. Uh, You mentioned uh, major league soccer and I'll pivot here a bit about, what they're uh, able to do in the marketplace. And that is growing by leaps and bounds. We continue to see it. Uh, Brendan Aronson a, is a great example where he leaves Philadelphia union, pretty modest uh, transfer fee to Red Bull Salzburg, nothing modest about his transfer fee to Leeds United. Uh, even a guy like Gianluca Busio, which you had a report potentially coming back to MLS and now going to resign uh, extended stay at Venezia. The kids are so good. We saw it at the under-20s, the Philadelphia Union. I tweeted yesterday about the Red Bulls Academy. I was blown away by five or six guys that seem more than capable of one day making a move. I am sure they are in the crosshairs of many European clubs. The young under-22s, I am confident. And um, the Jean Duran guy who plays for Chicago Fire is one of those guys. It could be an example where MLS are jumping in to help the development of these South American players. And there's so many of them that one of them could be the next Neymar. Maybe just like it clicks. Maybe a guy comes in and then maybe the European clubs missed it. Maybe it's Tiago Almada who's, who came in with high fanfare and becomes that because there's the width and breadth of all these players is so remarkable that they're, they're good. I just know the philosophy. If you you cast a wide net, you might catch, you know, you might catch the great white, the great white. I I know I'm misquoting Moby Dick. Oh,
1: no, but yeah, I mean you you want you want Amiron, right? Like I mean
0: But even something before. better, even bigger than Amiron, where you see a guy who breaks through European clubs. This guy could start for Man City, this guy could start for Liverpool, because MLS got him at 17 or 16, and at 19 or 20, he has progressed to elite status.
1: Right. Well, that's the next that's the next place that MLS has to show that they can go. That that's the part that hasn't happened yet. They, they've done a great job developing homegrowns, and now seeing the the payoff of those homegrowns going to Europe and performing, right? Tyler Adams and Brendan Aronson are great examples. Uh, Wesson McKinney was an FC Dallas Academy player who's been successful. Um, Gio Reyna is an NYCFC Academy player who's been successful. You can go down the list in that way. Um, But when it comes to buying young players, developing them, and selling them, that really hasn't happened to the degree that MLS wants it to happen and is trying to design the league to make it happen. And that's because it's hard. Um, It it is hard. And and I think that it's going to take time Uh, just as TAM took time to really have a, a bigger impact and just as the academies took time. I mean, when I started at the Washington Post in 2007, I wrote about the start of the development academy and I went and I watched, I remember writing about Bill Hamid before DC United signed him. I remember watching Andy Nahar as a sophomore at Edison High School in Alexandria, Virginia and having a conversation with Dave Casper before he was ever even in the DC United Academy. And then he was very quickly in it and then signed to a pro contract. But we didn't see another Andy Nahar or Bill Hamid really league-wide for like another seven or eight years. And why? Well, it take, they, they cast a net and they caught two really good players early on, but it takes time to actually develop players and to have players in your system long enough to truly be the ones developing them and and but then once we got through into that next generation of players that's when we saw it right Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney and all these FC Dallas players you know that have come through and been developed from age not 8 9 10 11 who are truly homegrown players who have been in that in that club for the majority of their development and i think it's going to be a similar process here for major league soccer with the U22 initiative teams are going to try different philosophies and where they look for talent, where they're signing them, how much money they're spending, how many minutes they're giving early on, how they help them transition to a new country and to a new culture. You know, I mean, think about like some of these kids, we were so quick to jump on into Miami as a failure. And these kids came over, uh, Pellegrini and Carranza, Carranza. teenagers. And they, they, not only were they moving to a new place with a new language for the first time in their lives uh, out of their countries or even maybe even out of their cities, but then the pandemic hits and they're alone in an apartment with nobody to talk to or to hang out with or they're not allowed to leave. Like, think about how difficult that must have been for them. And they're living in a oh, yeah. hotel for a month, you know, and look at Carranza now, like after he's had time to adjust and, you know, now he's starting to thrive. Like, we have to reset our thinking. And part of it also is just kind of how you sell these players like to your fans, right? Like, oh, their U22 initiative. Oh, like huge transfer fees. So they're going to have to help us right away. Like, no, like some of these kids are going to take time. John Duran is a good example. Like John Duran is 18 years old. Maybe, maybe he just turned 19. He, he, he's still so raw. Like he's finally starting to score goals, but like he's still so raw. Like he shouldn't be the starting striker for the fire for like another year. Like they should continue to use him the way they're using him spot starting here and there coming off the bench, allow him to grow into who he is as a player. And I think we're going to see that happening, but more importantly for the market itself is you need players to come here young, develop, get sold and be successful in Europe. And when that starts to happen, the market for this league is going to explode because now you have homegrowns and you have these U22 players and it's going to change things dramatically. And it hasn't happened yet. I think it will, but I think we just need to be patient in kind of how long it takes But, you know, Diego Rossi was close. I mean, COVID messed up that whole process for LAFC, their timeline, their expectations, all of those things. But the more we see these young players come, develop, go on to be sold, and then have success, it's going to alter how scouts and European teams think about this league. And that's already happening, by the way. Like, I I have conversations with scouts for, for Premier Leagues, like top Premier League teams who are paying attention in a way, I mean, they're not going to sign anyone from MLS, right? Like, but but just, they have
0: to keep an eye on, they have they to have a scouting watch. department watching what's happening.
1: They have to know what's coming so that they can track that player across multiple moves and know where they're coming from. Bayern Munich has done it successfully with Alphonso Davies. Like this is, it's changing in real time. And I think I think we'll see an even bigger jump when, when and if these U22s start to succeed. Um, and certainly, if you have a, a, a Miguel Amirone equivalent or better, um, I think Miguel Amiron ruined things for MLS teams for a while because everyone thought they were going to get the next Amiron and he was kind of a diamond in the rough that they they bought him for eight million dollars, like a nothing transfer fee, and he became that type of player. And I think if he had gone somewhere else besides Newcastle, that allowed him to be him a little bit more consistently, we would have seen even greater heights. But I mean, shoot, they they sold him for twenty million dollars, and he was a superstar player. Like that doesn't happen very often. And MLS teams like didn't think about it that way they were like, oh, we're gonna get the next on the road. Atlanta. Oh, we're gonna get the next on the road. like no, you got lucky. Um, and that's okay. That's a good thing. but you know, let's temper expectations. Uh, I think that we need to you know we need to keep that in mind with all of these players who are coming from overseas, but also know that, yeah, eventually you're gonna have these hits and if you get the right hit at the right moment, it, it alters the way people think about your league completely.
0: It's crazy, too, because we're we're such in an embryonic stage as a league, too. And I know everyone wants to fast track it. It's 26, 27 years old, and we're still learning. And I think the Carranza example is a good one. A Jose C. Fuentes, same boat. We had him here. They were patient with him. And now he is a developed, talented midfielder with aspirations who could play almost anywhere. And Carranza, the same boat. So maybe the lessons learned... Or, or, or people doing it the right way with not pushing these guys. And I, I've seen a lot. I, the Leo Chu at Seattle, they brought him along very slow. And now he's became a bigger part of what they do. So that everyone's got to slow it down and be patient with these things to a degree. And because they have it, they have some of these, these guys, you just don't want to screw it up and mishandle it where um, that, that development happens elsewhere. But I think the players That's do it. take responsibility. They got to come here go, I'm not going to jump in and a year from now, I'm going to the Premier League, they got to be for sure. patient,
1: for sure. Well, you hit the nail on the head. You you remind me of a great conversation I had. Um, must have been back in twenty fourteen. I was talking to Bruce Arena. He was in town with the Galaxy. Uh, they were playing Orlando City, and I met him the day before the game in the team hotel, which is something I like to do when teams are in town. And as you know, Bruce, you know he doesn't beat around the bush with anything he ever tells you. Like he will tell it to you straight and Best. dry and like make you feel stupid um, if you're not prepared. Um, If you're prepared, you'll have a good conversation. And I remember having this conversation with Bruce about the league's growth and some of these things that they needed to do to grow faster. And Bruce is certainly a voice that's pushed the league a lot to to grow. Um, But I remember we were talking about this idea player development and academy development, homegrown players. Again, this is 2014. This is before the run of all these homegrown players that we talk about now with the national team and with MLS. And he looked at me in this lobby of this hotel, as I was asking this question about player development. And he said, Paul, you just need to be patient. You just need to be patient. This can't. Is, it's so hard. This league is 20 years old and it's come a remarkable way, like a long, long way in 20 years. And we want it to be where we know it can be now, but it's, some of these things just need time. And you just need to let time pass, and as time passes, these things will occur. These homegrown players will develop more, and the system to develop them will be refined. And he said it in such a calm Bruce Arena way, like kind of like how like, you
0: did it without the Bruce voice, right now. Yeah,
1: I can't do I can't do a good Bruce, or I would have. You know, it was like a way Paul, to like to Paul. Like you got to be patient. You yeah, you got <laughs> Paul. Shut up for a second and listen. listen. You know, like that's like. Kick
0: it back into a lower gear.
1: I want to teach you a lesson right now. And he was right. And I, I try to remind myself of that, you know, when I go on the rant, like on the show that I've gone on about the league is that some of this is just, it's a really young league that needs time to develop some of these things. They've designed them to go slowly and they can pull those guardrails off. Now I, I really, truly believe that, but in other areas specific to things like player development. Yeah. It just takes time and repetition and getting things right and getting things wrong and and refining it and figuring it out a little bit better. And, um, you know, I think the U22 initiative is a good example of that. I think Tam has been an example. Homegrowns have been an example. Now, you know, again, I do believe that some of the guardrails that were put into place to protect teams from themselves, GMs from themselves can be removed. That's how you get better as a league. You find the guys who aren't very good, the, the people who aren't very good at their jobs, and they get moved on or teams learn and strategize and create their own strategy and other teams copycat that. Like let's, if you remove these guardrails where people are going to innovate and that helps the league, but sometimes it's just time, man. Sometimes
0: it is. And I think we're close to that, but with, with time as well. And by the way, Paul, Paul Tenorio here, check him out uh, on the athletic, as well as the allocation disorder with Sam Stasek called the podcast. I I could listen to this all day and I've (laughs) so much of your time and i feel like i've barely scratched the tip of the iceberg but uh i did want to ask this because you're going to be at the world cup and i know as we as you said earlier this sport's weird and i i feel it too because we have to cover everything we have to be aware of what's happening in england we have to be aware of what's happening in germany brazil argentina everywhere because it all is interconnected in some way shape or form so it's very difficult to do it but we still have to prioritize what's going to happen in the u.s this is going to change us all for all of us if there's success in 2022 and certainly in 2026 i feel it's close we've seen the development of the american player there's a debate like people say is the best and i i pump the brakes on that because there was something so uh so gallant and about the teams that we saw in 20 2002 and 2010 and uh, 2014 that they had this this incredible will in addition to the talent talent wise just numbers wise they can't compete to what we're seeing now where there's a conveyor belt part of that is who knows how many players slipped through the cracks that european teams would have been interested in you know what clint dempsey was our top signing what like four million dollars to fulham that's been blown out of the water okay so to get to the point uh i'll be previewing the english championship here Uh, On my next segment, and I'm talking about some of the American players. We have a lot of guys that need to uh, have a good few months to help the U.S.'s efforts in Qatar. Obviously, I I would list a guy like Christian Pulisic, have a a good contribution at Chelsea before he goes to Qatar, not so much like he had last year, a little more consistent, whatever that looks like. I I think he'll play, maybe not start all the time, but more so than the start of last season, which I'm optimistic about based on what I've seen early on here. I'm excited about Zach Steffen. It seems like he, the folks at Middlesbrough are happy that he's there, and that's a good development. And for Matt Turner, he's not going to play as much, but Zach Steffen gives me a little more comfort about a goalkeeper who will play regularly moving forward. And then, obviously, the two Leeds players that uh, could play a big, bi- a much bigger role. And then what happens with Gio Reyna? Ricardo Pepe. Where would you prior, what are some of those U.S. player uh, situations that are you, you are you most interested or are most critical for the team's success in November?
1: I think there's three that stand out to me. The first is center back who emerges at the center back position. Chris Richards at Crystal Palace is really important for this U.S. team, After, and that, should,
0: that that news hopefully drops today by the time we're done. Right? We I mean, that, to Crystal that's,
1: Palace, that's the big one for me because you look at that center back depth chart, and for me, he's the the most talented center back on the team. His ceiling is the highest, you know, going and playing at Crystal Palace consistently under Patrick Vieira would be a huge boost to this U.S. team. The second is the forward position. Who is going to emerge? You know, is it Pepe? Is it Josh Sargent at Norwich in the championship? Is it Daryl DK at West Brom? Um, somebody has to emerge there to push Jesus Ferreira or to be the guy. Um, that is so critical in this European season. Maybe it's Jordan Pivak playing in the Bundesliga. You know, maybe there's ETA. options. There's there, options there. There's That's options, good. But none great. Right? Yeah, That's the I'm a little optimistic
0: about Pepe. I, I've, I'm, I'm feeling good. It depends on the player, obviously.
1: I, I, you know, it's funny. The two names that I really am going to be watching the closest there are Sargent and DK. I think both of them have really high ceilings. And I think both of them, one of those two is going to emerge. I'm, I'm feeling very good about that. We're, we're going to be watching um, a lot of English championship at 5 a.m. <laughs> yeah. And the last one is, is Gio Reyna. His health and his production at Dortmund changes this, this team. If he is available and playing well, it has a um like almost like a domino effect because do you play him on the wing? Do you play him centrally? If you play him on the wing, then Tim Way is coming off the bench, then do you move Brandon Aronson centrally? If Brendan Aronson moves centrally, do you bench Weston McKinney or do you bench Eunice Musa? Like, do you move Geo central? Do you move him to a false nine? Like there's so many different questions that revolve around the availability of Geo Reyna. Um, and so that's that's the third per- that's the third thing I'm watching specifically giorana's health and his form and the impact that has on on the depth chart across multiple spots
0: a lot a lot of soccer to watch For over sure. the next few months so uh, explain that to your wife and your kids they'll understand it it's a world cup year and then uh yeah. christmas time you can have a blow it out in uruguay eating some fine steak great italian food down there some nice malbecs or whatever and then you just kick up in a hammock and you'll be good paul
1: yeah, that sounds wonderful to me. And uh, yeah, I look forward to doing this podcast from Montevideo uh, post-World Cup. Oh, know?
0: I forgot. It's winter down there. Oh, no, it's summer down there. Every summer there December. Yeah, baby. That's right.
1: <laughs> I
0: just planned it out. Book your ticket now. Montevideo, day after Christmas, boom, Paul Tenorio in sandals and shorts, living I it like up. I like the sound of it. I like the sound of it. Paul, man, I can't tell you how much I enjoy having conversations with you. I appreciate you joining me. I, as as I tell the folks who listen in, I get a little smarter or a lot smarter after this, and uh, that certainly applies here. Catch up, Paul Tenorio, uh, on the Athletic and the Allocation Disorder podcast. Have a good World Cup, man, if I don't talk to you between then and now. I'm sure I will. Yeah, sounds good, Max. All right, Paul Tenorio, we be back with stoppage time. We will discuss, yes, the English Championship. Paul and I will be watching a lot more, probably more than we were hoping for, but that's the way it goes. Friday, the English Championship, formerly Division One. Prior to that, Division Two. In case you're unaware of how it works, the uh, the it used to be Division One, which was now the Premier League Division Two, and then everyone tried to upgrade. And they the football league, the Premier League, with their top clubs wanted to get out of there so they could control the the income and the TV deals. So those power clubs, we know all their names, Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester United. No Man City at the time, by the way. But all those clubs came together and the Premier League has been a huge success. It kind of was like an English Super League, (laughs) although there was promotion relegation. We've seen so many teams come in there. So the Premier League became the Premier League. It got moved away from the rest of the league, of football leagues, except for the, the chance that many of these teams can get promoted up. And then eventually it went from Division 2 to Division 1 to the championship. Everyone's just upgrading. You know, you're going from the back of the plane to economy to economy plus. So you get shot up to business class, which is uh, always good. You have to fly a lot. By the way, I fly a lot. And it's getting less and less upgrades. People are flying, man. Or there's less flights. So check out the Soccer OG YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. I have a, a full video on Americans playing in the championship. And there are several... It's actually less, I believe, than are in the Premier League. It's about the same number. So Premier League, we have Christian Pulisic at Chelsea. Matt Turner at Arsenal. Then we have the two Leeds players that are both new. Brendan Aronson. So it's been a big uptick in the Premier League, that's for sure. Brendan Aronson and Tyler Adams at Leeds. Then you have the two Fulham players. Tim Ream and Anthony Robinson. So well, we have six there. We did lose Zach Steffen, who was a backup goalkeeper. And he's now in the championship playing for Middlesbrough. So um, we, it all starts Friday, Friday, July 29th. Huddersfield and Burnley. That's a good old championship. Knees up. Huddersfield got an American player, Dwayne Holmes. I think there's like seven. Maybe there's a little bit more championship players. So you don't have to watch everything. But I think there'll be more championship players from the United States because it makes sense. You might be able to get a guy on a loan or cheap and build him up and then there's a pathway to the Premier League. That's what I think Jordan Morris and Paul Arriola were thinking when they were with Swansea, and it, it didn't work out. Injuries came in. But it was a calculated risk, but a, a low risk for Swansea. They didn't have to go out and spend a ton of money to get these guys. But it, it, it is a—look, watching the championship's hard work, okay? It's hard work. We all have to watch a lot of football. Every weekend we try to watch as much. There's big games in the Premier League. There's big games in the Premier League you have to watch, and in La Liga— Serie A it's it look what Serie A did this offseason you've got to watch some of these games it's so compelling with Juventus and Inter and Roma and Napoli are doing even though they've lost a couple of their big players it's at least at the beginning it's going to be it's it's certainly shaping up to be a big year in Italian football so what can you do you can't watch the championship I mean by the way it's a very heavily viewed a very well attended game and it's profitable and they you know, there's there's money invested in it, and it's certainly rated as a top 10 league overall when you think of all the, the data. But man, it's not a good brand. You know, we always compare it to Major League Soccer, and wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be great? I'd say wouldn't it be great? It really wouldn't be, a tournament between the championship and Major League Soccer, because it would be empty at the end. No one wants that. No one wants to do that. But I think they're very similar, except... MLS has a, a huge core of young superstars and 30-something superstars, for lack of a better expression, like Gareth Bale and Lorenzo Insigne, maybe almost Luis Suarez, by the way, and Gerard and who's going to be playing for Switzerland in the World Cup. So you, we can tell him he's old, but these guys could all play for most teams in 50% of the European leagues. I guarantee you they could play for everyone in the championship and be their best player fact, Federico Bernadeschi, uh, Facundo Torres, who plays in Orlando, Thiago Almada, they could all be stars in the championship. They don't have big stars in the championship. But it is a hard-working league. They don't have a lot of international footballers, certainly not in comparison to the Premier League. There's a lot of guy, teams that are basically all British. So uh, the scouting and the, those resources are all very limited. Okay, I'm not here to bash the championship because it plays a very important role and uh, it's going to have my viewing on there. I'm going to get up. Remember, I live in L.A. Get up at 7 a.m. to watch QPR Blackburn Rovers or Blackpool Reading. I shall not watch, but I might watch Lutontown Birmingham. Lutontown's got an American, Ethan Horvath. So real quickly, we'll run through it. I mean, Dwayne Holmes and several others uh Sebastian Soto who does he's not going to play for Norwich they're looking to find another club for him maybe a championship one but there'll be more players in the winter coming there you watch especially when teams know that they're going to be in the mix of it for the promotional push and by the way uh, coming in the winter is not going to help anyone get in the world cup but there are four guys in particular that are worth our time so Middlesbrough open up with West Ham so there you go one game where you get two Americans at once brilliant that's Saturday, 9.30 a.m. Pacific time. Middlesbrough features Zach Steffen. West Brom, Daryl DK. Daryl D.K. came off the bench, scored a goal. I don't know if he's the starting number nine yet, but he has a real good claim at it. Remember, he's coming back from injury. But he does things. He's 22. He does things that many can't do. He's, he had success in the championship with Barnsley. That's how he got here. And that's a, a guy that, let's say he could score... 10 goals between now and the end of October let's say eight you know seven or eight if he goes seven or eight goals can that get him on the national team it should it should give him a long look depending on what happens elsewhere depending on what happens with I think Jesus Ferreira is going to be in there because he's a different striker but Ricardo Pepe Jordan Pivak Haji Wright Daryl D. K. could jump all of those guys maybe not Pepe but the other guys yes with a good season, because he's just this big physical specimen that you could play 20 minutes here, 15 minutes here, and that warrants bringing him, no? He'll be playing uh, Middlesbrough, and this is the most exciting development for me, because I think Zach Steffen, I'm reading the, I haven't seen him play yet, but I'm reading all the uh, literature, and it's, everyone's really happy with him, and he did play a game, and he got high ratings, uh, and it seems like, for the very least, he's going to be the starter for the beginning of the year. Great opportunity. Big club. Middlesbrough were in the when I first started covering the Premier League, that was one of my favorite teams. They had um, Fabrizio Ravanelli, the Pene Bianca. uh Why is the Brazilian guy's name escaping me? I remember uh, Robbie uh, Musto was on there. Robbie Musto. I gotta find this. I'm typing this up. Sorry, this is very unprofessional. Middlesbrough. Uh, there was two of them. Edgy, was it not Edgimundo? Juninho Paulista. What a player. What a player. One of the best players ever played in the Premier League, if you ask me. All at Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough came down. So did Leeds. Leeds got back up. Middlesbrough can follow that trajectory. Maybe Zach Steffen can be part of it. They finished seventh. They just missed out of the playoffs. So that's a good one. Luton Town with Ethan Horvath. We just want to see if Horvath can get games and see if he can secure the third goalkeeper. But he can. If he starts for Luton Town, he will be the third goalkeeper in Qatar. I don't think anyone's going to push him out of that spot. So we won't dwell too much on Ethan Horvath, but that brings it up to Josh Sargent, the fourth of those four players. So Daryl D. K. scoring goals and starting for West Brom, who are a yo-yo team, they'll probably go back up to the Premier League if not this year, the next. That's what they do. So does Norwich, for that matter. And Zach Stefan could really secure, depending on what happens with Matt Turner. Now I'm I'm feeling good about Matt Turner that he'll get some games that should keep him at least competing. For that number one jersey. Now, Josh Sargent. Has not been able to score goals. Interrupted season. Really ugly campaign for Norwich. They barely touched the ball. They just got destroyed during that season. So, new year for a club that generally goes down and comes right back up. He has competition. Much of the way Daryl DK does. But he has a little bit more. Jordan Kuehl has come in and scored a bunch of goals. And it really comes down to... How his relationship with is with Dean Smith, uh, who is uh, is there again, and it depends on him. Now, could he compete for the number nine jersey with guys like DK and Pepe? I he started playing on the out wide on the right, and I get the feeling that's where he should probably stay because there's an opportunity here. I think Greg Berhalter wants to take six wingers. You have Polisic, Aronson. Wea at the top, and then who else? Maybe less than six. But I think one of them is going to be a winger slash second forward. So that in moments, they can come up, head a ball in. When there's a cross, late in the game, you're losing. Instead of just having your center forward say it's Pepe, you also have Josh Sargent. He's got to score goals, though. And he's got to play. But really got to score goals. They come hand in hand, right? Because it's just gone dry with him. And if he doesn't deliver in the next few months, we really shouldn't mention Josh Sargent's name anytime soon. We almost have to put him on the back burner and say, you are not in the plans anymore. We just can't wait and wait and wait. I hope he does it. I think he's a really good athletic talent who can do a few things. But he's behind Jordan Morris. I know people are kicking themselves, so kicking the desk or the doorway because I mentioned Jordan Morris' name. But Jordan Morris is proving that he can be that winger, comes in second forward. He keeps scoring goals for Seattle. I know it's MLS, but they're talking about the championship. We're not talking about the Premier League. I'm like anointing Jordan Morris, but he has the inside lane. So let's watch the championship. Watch Middlesbrough and West Brom. We can watch that and we'll, we'll come back here and discuss. The Soccer OG, rate, review, download, subscribe. Thanks for all the support. We really appreciate it. You can still vote on World Soccer Talk, WorldSoccerTalk.com if you want to get in there late. And we'll do this again next week. Big guest coming up on the horizon. And as I always say, wish you the best. And Palacio Domingo.